0: Hello.
1: Hello. Ah, hi. How are you?
0: How are you doing? Fine.
1: Thank you. How are things in Spain?
0: Uh, I think that all the attention in Europe has moved to Russia and Ukraine. Mm. So um, things are OK. I, I, nobody's talking about COVID anymore. Mm. Uh, I think that the incidence is going down, but I really don't know exactly which, is, which are the numbers. We are still wearing masks, as probably the rest of Europe, keeping social distancing. But um, other than that, uh, I'll tell you, COVID has gone into a second position now. Yeah, yeah. It really, it- it's really a pity every time that you have a look at the news. Oh, by the way, I enjoyed very much because Nicholas sent uh, the podcast that you did to these uh, Russian hematologists in. Mm. Oh, Ukrainian hematologist in Kyiv. Yeah, they really very good.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's. Uh, I don't. It's it's hard to talk about it. Actually, I think, and because it's, on the one hand you want to help, on the other hand, what can you do? It's politics, and uh, during war times everything can happen, and you're just sitting there and.
2: Yeah. It's just- now to this think one... that
0: this is 2022 and it's actually happening. Yeah. I think. Uh, well, I think that even in 2022 we have crazy people uh, that maybe have got even crazier just because of COVID and all the COVID situation, which has not been really very healthy from mm. the mental point of view for for any of us. Um, and and you're right, it's, I think that everybody wants to help. It's very difficult to understand which is the best way of helping these people. Uh, and This is one, uh, one of the things that has been discussed very, uh, so much in the last EBMT board meetings and executive committee meetings, how these people can be helped. And it's very difficult because you say, OK, the first thought you sent money but where are you going to send the money mm. where is where is this money going to go when it goes to ukraine in this specific situation that probably everything um i mean everything can be done and nobody is basically going to control uh all these type of things um so let's say one of the ideas that uh we were discussing but i really don't know if that will happen In it will go into reality, is to try to help, not exactly right now, but in the next few months or eventually years. Um, I mean, all the potential patients, candidates for transplantation and try to move these patients outside uh, the country and then send them around Europe because of course EBMT is reaching many, many European countries. So try to develop this type of transplantation-oriented Health corridors for these for these patients, uh, which of course that represents a lot of organization. That represents also money, um, uh, because you also have to move the families and some uh, family support. So this is one of the uh, projects that probably mm, it's uh, it's probably the stronger one, and we think that maybe we can help on that, but. Anyway, I think it's, it's really difficult because even with that, I really don't know uh, from a practical point of view how these patients can eventually go from one country to the other one. Although if you follow Twitter, that I'm sure that you do that. Um, there have been some announcements of patients arriving, arriving to the north of Italy, for instance, not for transplantation exactly, but basically for, uh, for clinical care. I don't know if, uh, I I think it was John Snowden one day saying that some patients had arrived hmm, maybe to Scotland Claire, or I'm not so sure, I don't remember exactly which was the place, but either in Ireland, of course, I don't want to mix up countries, (laughs) Mm. okay, there were some patients arriving there coming from some of the hospitals in Kiev, so maybe that's an option. Mm.
1: It's also, I think, quite hard to really focus the discussions because what, in my point of view, what we as like normal people, uh, scientists, uh, we cannot like discuss the whole thing. Why the war happens, uh, on which side everyone is, Um, in my point of view, what we just can do, what you alluded to is just help everyone that we can help. Um, because we, for na- for instance, we also receive very alarming um, notes from Russia um, that, like young mm-hmm. scientists, are like really cut off every support, every communication, and for me, that's a problem as well. I think uh, that's ter- terrible as well. So everybody is suffering. It's it's yeah. just horrible. No, that
2: that's, that's true. The sense of fear as well. On, on what you do hear from everywhere, and
1: uncertainty.
2: It's... That's true, because that's
0: another thing. So, I mean, of course, we know each other, let's say a little bit, but probably not well enough uh, to know exactly which are the uh, political orientations of each of us, and of course, then you have the other side of the coin, which is Russia, and of course, Putin probably is not representing uh, the whole Russia, not at all, probably only a minority. I don't have any idea. And I'm sure that there are many people suffering because of what Russia is being doing uh, to Ukraine and the rest of Europe, because we are still, let's say, um, as a bystander, more or less, we are also suffering. I mean, we will have shortage of many things that come from Ukraine and from Russia. Um, I don't know in Germany or in UK, but the uh, the petrol is so expensive here in Spain. Mm. For me, it's almost ninety euros to fill in the uh, the tank of my car, mm. and this is this is going probably even to be more expensive in the near future. So. It's a difficult conversation because it's difficult to get alignment in 100% of people with different um, uh, uh, with different background, and of course nobody wants to step on anybody else's toes, just not to make any disaster in these um, in these meetings that uh, they are supposed to be friendly. But probably if we stick to our mission. Um, we can find some projects that they are not very big. They don't want to, I mean, to solve 100% of the problem, which is one thing that probably nobody will be able to solve. But we can help a little bit, let's say, in our small uh, parcel. So I think that this is what we should try to do. And of course, try to communicate as much as possible that EVMT is absolutely against war. On the other side that we are neutral and that we are trying to follow our mission yeah, do,
1: yeah. and next week there will be the uh, annual meeting in in prague which is in the eastern of europe yeah. um do do you have any like information whether this could be affected or is already been affected uh, because of maybe um, hesitancy to come to the meeting or presenters not allowed to come or?
0: Um, so the information I have, of course, uh, let's say Czech Republic is not so far away from Ukraine. So if the meeting would have been in Barcelona, let's put it this way, we are seeing things a little bit more uh, from a far away uh, perspective. Uh, there have been uh, some changes uh, from face-to-face to virtual. So in fact, the registration process has been a little bit uh, awkward or different this time. First of all, because it's the first hybrid meeting um, that uh, EBMT is planning. Um, The number of face-to-face attendees has also been modified over time. Because initially, just because of COVID, um, the, the, the regulations in the Czech Republic were quite strict. Uh, but then, I mean, they were more loose and loose, so the possi- we had the possibility to even have, um, I think it was 2,500 people face-to-face, mm. which is basically not bad. Uh, with the, I would say that with the war, there has been a uh, few registrations that have moved from uh, face-to-face to virtual. I'm not so sure that the reason is because people are not, really allowed to travel. Uh, I am not going to enter into Russian people. We don't have so many BMT centers in Russia, but of course there is a big one in St. Petersburg and then there is another one in Mm. Moscow. Um, Of course, I don't think that these people are going to travel and people uh, coming from Ukraine either, Uh, but I think that it's most it's basically related to the potential anxiety and fear of people to go abroad in a quite unstable situation around Europe, which probably Mm. is more clear in Eastern Europe than in Western Europe. Uh, Then let's say I think that both uh, Professor Kroger and myself, and I'm sure that other people received emails from people that were coming from far away, uh, people from US or people from South America. Everybody is a little bit hesitant and not understanding very well what is happening in Europe. Europe might seem kind of global, uh, which, I mean, it's not the case if we live in Europe. And sometimes what happens is maybe what uh, happened uh, during the ASH meeting, then just because of Omicron, there were many people saying, okay, we are not going, we are not going, and that makes people saying, okay, maybe I should not be going there uh, because my neighbor or my colleague uh, in the hospital is not going. So um, it's a changing situation. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, um, despite all all this, uh, what's going on right now? Um, we want, first of all, obviously, to thank you to to come to this um, conversation with us, and we obviously want to talk about EBMT um, and um, other other things surrounding transplant in Europe. But um, maybe we we start a bit uh, with you uh, because m- maybe there are people. I cannot imagine who, but maybe there are uh, people out there who don't know you, um, that you maybe start um, with your background, uh, with your experience, um, how you started uh, in med school and how you uh, became a transplanter and, and cellular therapist in, in Spain.
0: Okay, so uh, first of all, thank you for the interview. I think it's, it's really nice. Uh, I hope that I can give you the information that it's of interest. Uh, So I started quite a while ago, I have to say. And I think that from what I remember, I can say that uh, I had very clear ideas that I I wanted to go into the medical school. So it was not a last minute decision. And of course, I'm sure that this happens also in Germany and in UK, that usually the, uh, the marks that you need uh, to go into medical school are quite high. So it's a kind of, I don't know if positive or negative selection, but it's a kind of selection. So if you don't have a good mark, you cannot go into medical school. I was living in Madrid, so I am from Barcelona. But my parents moved to Madrid when I was 11. So I did my medical school and my residency in Madrid. And then I moved back to, uh, to Barcelona. So I was able to go to medical school in one of the two uh, public um, universities in Madrid at that time. Um, I really enjoyed it very much. I loved hematology. And I think that I am a hematologist because of the wonderful teachers that I had when, when I was at medical school. I, I found really, uh, I mean, the lessons so entertaining, interesting, everything so easy to understand why at the beginning everything seemed been so complicated. Um, that probably that was the reason that by the time I finished medical school, I had very clear ideas that I wanted to be a hematologist. In Spain, we have this national exam that it's being done once per year and it's really very competitive because there are not so many positions uh, to be an a specialist and there are many people applying for this exam. And of course, depending on the number that you get in this exam, you have the possibility, yes or no, to choose the speciality that you want to do and eventually to choose the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I think that I would to choose more or less what, uh, I mean, of course, what I wanted to do, which was hematology, Um, I had several options. I decided to stay in in Madrid, um, and then I did my residency in Madrid. I was always focused in clinical hematology. I didn't like blood bank. Hopefully nobody is offended. I didn't like very much hemostasia and thrombosis. Uh, So I was really very much interested in, in clinical hematology and basically in malignant hematology. I had the possibility because I am so old. It was the time that peripheral blood stem cells were started to be used, and I had the possibility to go to, go to Heidelberg for three or four months uh, with uh, Professor Martin Kerbling, um, that you may know now. I think that he's in US, uh, but uh, in Heidelberg, that uh, it, that it was one of the first places in Europe where peripheral blood stem cells were began to be used basically for autologous stem cell transplantation in patients with lymphoma. Anyway, so this is what I did uh, in Madrid during my residency. And then when I finished it, I had the possibility to stay in my hospital or to move back to Barcelona because I was offered a position in in Barcelona. I have to say that in Spain, um, just because we are, well, not just because, but following this type of Mediterranean style of life, people don't move around so much. So uh, probably uh, the um, countries in the northern part of Europe, people like to move from one place to the other one. I would say that in Spain, people like to stay in the same place, but this was not what I wanted to do. So I decided to move back to Barcelona. Uh, although my family was in in Madrid, and I started in this hospital, in Hospital de Paulo, which is a big university hospital in Barcelona, which was very much focused uh, in uh, cellular therapy, well, basically stem cell transplantation at that time. I think that everybody says, okay, I want to treat acute leukemias because it's the most challenging, uh, probably, disease. But this field of interest was already occupied by somebody else when I arrived like a, as a junior consultant uh, in Sao Paulo. So I said, OK, I'm going to pick up what is being left from the basket. So I decided to go into lymphoma and multiple myeloma. Uh, but always related to stem cell transplant because the head of the department at that time was really very much interested and we had a big stem cell transplantation activity. I was always very much impressed with the possibility of all these high doses treatments, how patients were able to go through all the uh, toxicity of a stem cell transplantation and potentially being cured. So that was very, very attractive. And I was there for 20 years, which that's not too bad. And at some point I said, okay, I have to move again because I am super, well, I need a change. Let's put it this way. And um, then I applied applied, uh, several positions. But at the third time, I want a senior consultant in lymphomas and the stem cell transplantation position in Cambridge, in Adam Brooks hospital. So I decided to pick up my two daughters and then move to Cambridge. And that was for two years. Um, it, was, it was a super mega change for me. So um, the uh, healthcare system in Spain is quite different, or very different from the one in UK. I had to deal, from my Spanish point of view, with the complications and the bureaucracy of the NHS system. Uh, but it was a fantastic experience, I have to say. I had to go back to Spain two years later. That was in 2012, just because of personal reasons. But I, didn't, I hadn't planned to go back to, to Barcelona. And I don't know where I would have been right now if let's say these personal issues didn't happen. So I was really very happy. And I have to say that my stay in UK was, let's say the beginning of of a new situation for me. I was able to meet many people. I have a lot of friends from that time, people that I lost, and now they have reappeared in, in my professional life. That's also very important. I was able to improve my English which is of course very important because uh, uh, sometimes let's say in Spain uh, English as a second lang- language is not as spread as in, other, as, as in other countries so that's also very important and Cambridge is a lovely city quite near from London so uh, it was super nice. So I went back to Barcelona and, and then uh, let's say I started in the hospital where I am uh, the head of department position was free because the, uh, the prior one retired at some point. I applied to it and I won this position um, six years ago. And now we are in March 2022.
1: Mm-hmm. May, may I ask, uh, maybe it's a funny question, um, but it's just because um, I, I spent six months in Madrid um, and in, in that period it was uh, three years ago. And um, it would be interesting whether this uh, was also true in your time. Is in that time this um, final exam that you described this the really competitive one that I think um, maybe needs to be highlighted because in Germany there is nothing like that. You have an exam and then you apply for a university, mm-hmm. and either you get in or not. But um, in that time when I was there, this so-called meal is it right? And um, you get your points and then you're ranked and according to the ranking, you uh, are able to choose your uh, first discipline and then and then hospital. Yeah And um, in my in my class there were this two like genius students and they were so intelligent and um, I asked them, okay wh- what do you want to do? Do you want to do research or what do you want to do? Well, uh, yeah, obviously plastic surgery and we i I didn't understand why and then they yeah but because it's paid the most in in spain and then they stayed in in madrid and did uh, plastic surgery but they were like internal medicine knowledge this was completely uh, out of the world it was so huge but was it the same in in your Mm. uh, time no
0: um well no i have said no, too quickly. So um, the issue is that uh, probably th- uh, times have changed. Um, the uh, medicine in Spain uh, basically it's uh, basically is public. I mean the healthcare system, not medicine. The healthcare system is public in Spain, but of course you can uh, you can have private practice, and it's easier to have a private practice and to get more money out of your your profession if you are a plastic surgeon than if you are a hematologist. Um, I think that these thoughts have changed a little bit uh, over time. As I am significantly older, I have to say that probably uh, when it was my time to uh, do uh, the uh, specialty, people were not so focused on money and on, um, let's say, yeah, earning money or the specialities that were associated with the possibility to earn more money, but it was more like generosity, vocation, and trying, let's say, more internal medicine or medical specialities point of view. And at that point, hematology was very well uh, seen by people that were doing the exams, so it was quite competitive. And as you have said, depending on your number in this huge list of people, you had the possibility to choose um, uh, what you wanted to do and in which hospital you wanted to, uh, to do your, your training. And there were many, many good positions that were basically picking up hematology. Nowadays, it's different. Even in the best hospitals in Spain, the numbers that are picking up hematology are not so good because people might be focused to, um, to disciplines that eventually give more money. And usually, hematology is not the one, with some exceptions.
2: Mm. And clearly, throughout your career and everything, you've achieved so much, and there's exciting times ahead uh, with being president of UBMT. But outside of work and outside of your professional life, uh, what are your interests? How do you relax? And Okay,
0: what do you enjoy so... Doing? that's a very good question because I don't have a lot of time to relax myself and (laughs) uh, I have to say that sometimes uh, when I go abroad I think oh my god there are so many people relaxing so I should be doing the same (laughs) and I go back home I go back to my own reality and I I don't have a lot of free time but uh, what I like to do in my free time basically I like to travel this is my best by far my my uh, uh the best thing that i oh, yeah the best thing that i like to do i like traveling so much unfortunately covid has uh completely changed our lives regarding traveling of course i was doing a lot of traveling because of work or meetings or or whatever but you always had had a little bit of free time I mean, to go and see this place or see uh, the other place. I love meeting people. I love talking to people. Um, And of course, English language is one thing uh, that gives you the possibility to be a little bit more universal because it is so important to be able to understand people. Uh, And these things with COVID have kind of disappeared of course, from a professional point of view, and also from a personal point of view, but I like traveling, I like music, I like art, I like uh, going to museums, I love all these things, and I used to read a lot. I'm not reading as much as I liked in the past, because I don't have a lot of time, Um, and when I go to bed, I am completely dead, or almost dead, Uh, but I like doing things which are completely different uh, from medicine i have two daughters that also um well now they are quite grown up so uh, they don't need so much time that's not exactly true but at least from a physical point of view and i love animals i have three cats at home and one dog that live all together super nicely
1: Mm. and your kids are they interested in Becoming uh, doctors, or... okay,
0: so the oldest one always said, No way, you are absolutely crazy and <laughs> never going to do what you are doing. So she decided to do environmental sciences. She already has finished the um, I mean, the uh, the, the university, and she's uh, basically dedicated. So she likes animals very much and basically exotic fauna. So she has been for five months in Costa Rica uh, looking after all the um, specific animals that they have there. Now she's in Parque de Doñana, uh, which is one of these natural reserves both for animals and for plants. So let's say she's not taking care of human beings, but a little bit of animals, which Hmm. at some point there are some similarities there. And then the second one, she's studying medicine. She,
1: so she's in in the third year mm. okay um and as we introduced you you're uh, the president elect of the european society for blood and marrow transplantation and um first of all what made you decide to run for the position mm. uh what was did you have, was there a moment you said okay uh, i want want to involve myself and well, maybe we we speak about that afterwards. Then, what are you hoping to to do mainly? To focus on what? How do you want to shape the policy of of the society?
0: So, my career in EBMD it's also uh, quite long because I started at some point. I joined the lymphoma working party, and then it, there was the time that. At that time, Norbert Smith was the chair of the Lymphoma Working Party, and of course, at some point there were elections, and he offered me the possibility to run for the the chairperson position. I was absolutely shocked because I would have never thought that he was going to call me. Of course, I have always been very much interested in Hodgkin lymphoma. Allotransplant, as you know, Nico, is not as sexy nowadays than it was several years ago. Mm-hmm. And I prepared uh, uh, prospective clinical trials on allotransplant for refractory Hodgkin lymphoma. So he came to me, he offered me this possibility, I said, oh my god, I'm sure that I will never be able to achieve this position. Uh, But I ran for the position and I won the position of um, chair of the Lymphoma Working Party. I really enjoyed it very much. Um, I think that I was able, or that I worked hard enough to be able to improve the outcome of the Lymphoma Working Party. Um, And when the Lymphoma Working Party time finished, and at that time was six years, so three plus three, um, the secretary position was open, and I said, "Okay, I really would like to continue working for EBMT." Of course, transplant has been always kind of background for the different diseases that I have been interested in, and I ran for the position of uh, secretary. Um, it was the uh, um, the other uh, opponent was Hermann Heinzelmann. At that time, uh, that he had been the chair of the infectious disease working party, and I said, "Oh, I'm going to lose—that's for sure." And then I won the position of, the, of uh, the position of the secretary. It was a difficult time because it was the time that I moved to UK, uh, so it was it was a little bit complicated with my two daughters. Um, and but I think that the uh, the society improved. Uh, it was professionalized, not only because of myself, of course, but just because of the work of the executive committee and the board of the EBMT. And I said, well, why not trying to run for the uh, president position? And I did that, but I lost the elections because Nicholas Kroger won the elections at the time. But I was very happy, I have to say, because I didn't lose for so many votes. So it was quite tight, the results. Now I don't remember exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I continue, uh, I mean, I was very much involved in EBMT Even I mean, I didn't have any position in the board. I really like EBMT very much as a society. It's, of course, it has grown very much over time. uh, And now it's really a big um, society with a big, uh, organizational structure behind, let's say, the scientific part of the society, the XCOM, the uh, board of association, and of course, all the members of team. And when it was, uh, so I continued to be very much involved basically in the Lymphoma Working Party, where I am still uh, as active, as much active as I can. So when the time of the elections uh, came back, I said, I don't know what to do. Uh, some second times are not the best ones. This is a kind of saying that probably it's a kind of European saying. At least there is a Spanish one. And I said, I don't know if I should be doing that. But then at some point, um, because I had, let's say, I had picked up the position of uh, president of the Spanish uh, stem cell transplantation and several therapy society, I made some consultations with people. Uh, let's say also in the kind of the um, of the society board and I said okay I took my decision I want to run for the position it was uh, it was a very strange uh, campaign because it w- everything was virtual so no face-to-face conversations um, and the other thing that it was a little bit complicated just because of all the GDPR and all the impossibility to be able to reach, uh, let's say, the EBMT centers uh, in the way that I had done before, and in the other election processes. Everything was very complicated. Everything was tweeted. um, So social media became uh, really very important. That was the reason why I went into Twitter, uh, because I knew that... Um, both uh, Christian and Ibrahim had a Twitter account, and I said, oh, I need to go myself in Twitter. I'm not very active, but I said, okay, at least I have, I have to be at the same level. Um, and, and then um, I have to say that everything was very strange because, of course, we were looking at the results at the, uh, I mean, through the computer, so it was not as, uh, let's say, well, not engaging, but um, as nice as it could have been to be there in person. Well, nice or not nice, but um, yeah, I would say that nicer to be in person, but then I won the elections. And I know that I have a lot of responsibility. Um, In fact, I have had a lot of extra work since I took the position during this year of president-elect, because. All of the sudden, you get involved in many meetings, in many things. So I was not aware that the society from the basis had changed so much in the four years that I had been outside the board. Uh, So um, bigger structure, more people working for EBMT, new challenges, car team, all the past studies, Uh, The registry that it's still, let's say, in preliminary phases, and hopefully uh, we will be able to have it up and running in a different platform than Promis. So my amount of work has significantly increased in this year, being president elect, and I guess. And Professor Kroger has told me several times, "Oh, you will see that it's a lot of work," (laughs) and yeah, but. Anyway, I'm, I'm really very happy because my professional life has been very much um, uh, side by side of the EBMT uh, evolution, I mean, for quite a few years. So um, I'm really very proud uh, to be able to hold this position. Uh, what I, I will try to do. So there are many things that need to be uh, that many things that have been ongoing for the last few years and hopefully they will be crystallized and at least have a happy end during my my mandate not because i am super fantastic not at all but probably because there has been a lot of work behind all this process and at some point things need to be finished and be up and running for instance the registry Um, probably that's that's one of the most important things. Um, All the uh, past studies and all the positioning of EBMT being the European registry for CAR T cell therapy and eventually other cellular therapy that will be coming in the future. This is one thing that has also been started uh, with, uh, with the prior presidency. And this is one thing that we will need uh, to, to upgrade, to implement and to finish and to have it in a kind of smooth uh, situation in the near in the near future and this is also a very important thing. And I think that one of the big challenges that we have in EBMT is to move So Nicholas, had to move from a non-COVID era to the COVID era, while well, Nicholas and the rest of the society. And I think that it will be, let's say, our future task to move back EBMT outside of COVID-19, if this happens, which I really hope that this is going to, uh, to happen. So uh, there, have, and there have been many things that have been implemented. We have learned many things from our COVID-19 pandemic era. And for sure, we will be keeping some of these things as the rest of the society. We have learned many things being virtual. And I think that being virtual or virtuality has uh, a lot of positive aspects. But we cannot rely on virtuality. So we have to make the effort to go back uh, to -to face-to-face. Uh, in a similar way uh, that we were doing in the past. So this is one thing that we will have to undertake in the next uh, few years. And many of the aspects of EBMT, for instance, I was thinking about JC. So JC has suffered very much from from COVID. Um, So this is one thing that uh, we will have to tackle also in the near future to try uh, to move JC back uh, to what uh, the situation before COVID-19, and probably implement things to make JC more competitive. And the other important thing is that we have to work more and more in uh, in EDI. So it was last Tuesday. It was the um, uh, Women International Day, and. I think that we have to, we really have to work on that. I think that the world is trying slowly to move move in this direction, which of course it's not only, I would say that gender issues is an important one, probably it's one of the easiest ones, let's put it this way, to address because probably it's more visible. but there are many, many other things that need to be that need to be done. And in this sense, I think that we have to move this way and we have to make EBMT even broader and more global than it is right now, but not global only because of world going to China, which is absolutely fantastic, going to uh, South America, uh, which of course, is one thing that it's especially interesting for me because my Spanish is much better than my English. And so, and language is very important. Uh, Well, it's crucial for communication, but globally, it's not only uh, this concept, but globally is being able to embracing everybody that wants to work in stem cell transplant and cellular therapy. And I think that this is one, pending aspect or partially pending aspect in which we have to work in the in the near future. Many things have been done or some things have been uh, done already in the past uh, in the past years, but we need to crystallize them um, and to make it more solid, stronger, and to make a a really a global and um, global uh, society in the next years.
1: Does e- the EBMT um, have um, an office in Latin America? No. No, not yet. Okay. No,
0: not yet. So we have this office in Shanghai that was um, opened, I don't know, I don't, I don't know exactly when, uh, that unfortunately um, uh, probably nobody or almost nobody has been able to be there. In fact, um, there was... Um, Kind of um, EBMT um, China office meeting that uh, was cancelled and it's organized, I think that for the end of June, and it was basically cancelled because it was going to be face to face in China, but because of COVID, the uh, face to face meeting in China was not a possibility, so it was basically cancelled. Probably, if COVID allows us, um, uh, the Chinese office and the EBMT objectives for China should be implemented. But there is uh, no office in South America. So this is one thing uh, that we may think for the future. Of course, it's very easy to say, probably not so easy to do in practice.
1: And may I ask what the role of these offices is? Is this just to like? enable collaboration or do they have like really structural purposes to, I don't know, gather data or sh- exchange data or w- what is the role of these offices?
0: Well, I think that basically the role is to, um, to transport the mission and the vision of EBMT there. So basically working in education, uh, working in science, promoting EBMT membership, uh, we have quite a few Chinese, big Chinese centers because they have huge uh, transplant numbers there and that are already uh, members of the of EVMT. And of course, being member of the EVMT allows us, allows um, them and of course us to exchange information. I mean, with all the um, regulatory issues that we have nowadays, uh, being an EBMT member and signing the Adequate Joint Controllership Agreement allows us to change data uh, more easily. So basically it's to transport the mission there.
2: I think it all sounds really exciting and it's something uh, Nico and I have been in touch with some of the LA BMT um, and some of the, we've had a few meetings with trainees based over in those countries and i think the pair of us the first time we met and were discussing with trainees we were just we hadn't really i think we were both quite struck by how different the experience is and how some things that we just take for granted as being able to Mm -hmm. deliver and giving um working where we do that you don't even think about and the challenges and how they're trying to adapt to overcome those things so definitely Moving forward, that will be something that's really exciting and worthwhile. I know you've mentioned a lot of difficulties and challenges. Is there anything you think will be the major barriers when you come to being the president? Is there anything you're particularly scared about (laughs) or worried by?
0: Um, Well, the first thing is that um, I don't know if I will have enough hours uh, during my day. Um, to um, dedicate enough enough time to EBMT and, of course, uh, to other obligations that I cannot forget. Um, I'll try to do my best to organize my time in the best possible way uh, to do what I have to do. Of course, let's say uh, Europe is so big uh, that you always have the feeling that you are not able to have everything under control, which probably this is not... Uh, the objective, it's very important, uh, I mean, to be able to trust in people that are working with you, uh, because this is the only way that you can delegate things correctly, and this is one of the things. So I think that, um, let's say, the president task is kind of supervise everything, but of course not to do everything on a daily basis, because this would be completely crazy and uh, completely impossible. But uh, it's not that I am uh, that I am scared. But uh, I think that it's really a big position. Um, you don't uh, sometimes if you don't step in to somewhere you really don't realize the amount of work that it represents. So it's basically looking at the position from the distance probably does not give you a clear idea of which will be the amount of work that you will have to do, uh, the dedication and all these type of things. So I am always very optimistic. Uh, There are excellent people working in EBMT. I'm sure that I will have a lot of help from everybody. And of course, I will try to let's say to um, bring EBMT in all these things that I have been discussing. And I'm sure that many things that will be coming um, in the near future, and probably I have not put in my, I, I have not included in my uh, wishes basket. Uh, they mm. will, I mean, and we will have to solve them.
1: Do you have any advice if you, because you, you strengthened that, it is a lot of work already and it will be um, a lot of work do you have a certain strategy do you like have a certain plan for your days what do you want to do do you have a schedule just for for people maybe to understand how you structure yourself if you are like uh, facing this kind of pressure and
0: um I have to say that I don't know exactly how to answer your uh, your question. I have uh, quite a well-structured mind. By the way, I like starting my day super early in the morning. For me, it's the best time of, of, of the day when nobody's in then you have some hours of peace, that you don't have any telephone, uh, nobody, uh, let's say, interrupting you. And I think that um, this is very important. I think that within EBMt there is already a structure that allows, uh, in this case, the president uh, to be aware of what is happening and what it's important. Uh, for him or for her to, uh, to know and to understand. So EBMT life is quite well structured. And I think that from the very beginning, I will be picking up this structure that it's already in and has been working for uh, many years. Maybe I'm going to modify it a little bit because not uh, everybody works in its own way. But the first thing is that I'm going to pick up this structure and work with it and trying to accommodate in, my, in the rest of my life. Probably if we have this conversation in one year time, I, I can give you a little bit how mm-hmm. I have put in practice of all, all these thoughts that for the time being are already Say something that I am thinking about. Uh.
1: Well, uh, we thank you for your time and uh, for your uh, elaborations. It was really, uh, yeah, we really look forward to have you. It's really, really nice to talk to you. Um, I don't know whether you saw it on your emails in parallel, but we just received an email that EBMT uh, won't happen in person. So, um, Claire and me, we are not lucky to meet the first time in our lives. <laughs> and yeah. Maybe
2: you'll have to come to Manchester.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: um,
0: yeah, I know. Hmm. Well, I knew, but I was not supposed. Um,
1: ah, okay. you oh. uh,
0: have to give any information. Yeah, unfortunately, ah. yeah. Okay. So anyway, yeah, it's it's really it's really a pity. For the third time, um, we will have to go virtual. Mm. Uh, this time is not COVID, but I would say that probably more complicated issues um, in Europe. It's really a pity that we cannot meet each other face to face because the screens are perfect or more or less perfect, but it's not. Uh, the same thing. So we will, we will have to wait a little bit longer uh, to meet each other. Uh, it has been really a huge disappointment. And of course, uh, these are really fresh news. Um, and I, I really <laughs> didn't know how to handle exactly this interview, but I said, okay, I'm not going to say anything. And at some point, uh, let's say the information will be coming up in the emails of, of everybody. But anyway, so I would be, I am really very happy to work with you. I will be very happy to, wor- uh, to work with you. One thing I have not mentioned um, is that what I think is very important is mentorship. And this is absolutely important. This is one of the key issues of any, uh, well, any scientific society now, because we are talking about EBMT, but of course, if you go back to your team, and mentorship is one of the key issues. And this is one of the things that has been promoted for many years in EBMT. I think that nowadays has probably a more structured way of promoting mentorship and bringing new people uh, into the society. Uh, This should be one of the successes of the society. If you have a society or a team where there has been no mentorship, uh, this is a kind of failure because at some point you have to leave your legacy, let's put it this way, good or bad or intermediate, but you have to give your legacy to somebody else's. And this has been structured with the trainee committee uh, in EBMT. And I think that it can be further developed, not because it has not been done well, it's just because it's quite new, so it's quite junior, Uh, all these projects, but it can be, uh, I would say, that further developed in many, many aspects within Europe, outside Europe, with scholarships, with fellowships to try to transmit the knowledge in physicians, nurses, all the healthcare allied people dedicated to stem cell transplant and cellular therapy. So we'll do it virtually and hopefully face to face very
1: soon. You just say what we think, so we are yeah. on the same page. <laughs> exactly.
0: So I, I didn't want to leave the interview without mentioning that.
1: Perfect. Um, thank you. Thank you very much for your time, and um, we hope to see each other sometime this year in person. Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. Have thank a good day, and thank you again for your time.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. Okay. See you. Bye bye. Bye.